0: Hello and welcome to another episode of PhD Pending, the podcast for early career humanities scholars. My name is Anne Mahler and I have a PhD in English literature. Together we will deep dive into different aspects of PhD life and explore what it really means to do a PhD in the humanities. Today's episode is more or less a spontaneous follow-up to our most recent episode co-authoring a journal article with Dr. Miranda Corcoran. At the time of the recording, my colleague Miranda and I had submitted our article draft to a journal, but had not heard back yet. Now, however, we have heard back and wanted to take the opportunity to chat with you, take you through the feedback we received and what happened next. Hopefully, we can share some tips on how to deal with editors' feedback with you. You have met her in the last episode, but for those who haven't listened to that, let's introduce our returning guest, Miranda. Miranda, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you back. Thank you, I'm really excited to be back. And a lot has happened since we last recorded. Indeed, it has. So just to recap, <laughs> could you tell us uh, what
1: happened? Uh, so I'm not sure. I can't remember how long it took for us to get a response. Um, I know it was it was quite a while, wasn't it? We submitted it in, I think, February and we heard back in June. I actually have the timeline here. So we submitted the article at the
0: 22nd of February. So late February, right? Mhm. Two months later, I did a first check in so that was towards the end of April and we were told to wait another two months later in late June we did a second check-in and there was another reply and another apology that we had to wait and two weeks after that literally the last day of June that's when we got an answer
1: yes we did um and I feel like I don't think I can you know create a sufficiently big sense of anticipation For the feedback that we got, because it was just spectacular. It was. Uh, Though not in a good way. Uh, Not in a good way, but spectacular nevertheless. Um, So I remember getting this feedback because I was on my laptop and I was working on another piece. I write for magazines and stuff occasionally. I was working on a magazine piece um, and I was kind of tired. I was rushing to finish that up because I needed to have it in for a, a certain date and then my computer pinged and I got the the feedback, which I immediately forwarded to you, even though obviously I knew you were getting it as well. Um, because it was just spectacular, as I said. I think we we both immediately jumped onto WhatsApp because it, yeah. it
0: wasn't just the big build-up of it, right? So this was my first co-author journal submission, a very like official one. So we stayed in contact the entire time and mostly I was worried about phrasing emails to the managing editor, right? Especially with those check-ins, it's like hello, we've submitted literally years ago. Is there any update? But you also don't want to bother them because you know they're busy, right? Yes. So yeah. that was the first layer of stress for me. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any like tips on how to phrase these emails? Obviously, you um reviewing papers as well. Is there any good way to phrase them before we get into the actual feedback? Because that was a big source of anxiety for me it
1: is it is so hard so my experience well firstly I'll talk a little bit about my experience with other articles I've submitted so one article I submitted had a very like fancy high-tech system um that would send you like regular notifications as to where your article was oh, and that good. was really handy yeah it was really good and it was also very fast because I submitted that particular article it came out last year in March of 2020 and I got an acceptance in like June of 2020 so it was fast it was like three months and it was great because they had as I said this very high-tech system that would let you log in and see the status of your paper and you would be notified if anything had changed and that was that was really great so I didn't have to do anything in that case. I have had other instances where I have had to follow up on articles and Like you, I find it really difficult because I'm very much aware that people who run journals are busy and people who run journals are, it's not their full-time job, you know? People who run journals are also lecturers or researchers or even postgraduate students. And as a result, they tend not to have a massive amount of time and they don't, they can't dedicate every working day to the journal. So I always sort of take that, I always keep that in mind. So I tend when I'm checking in with with editors about the status of articles or other publications, I tend to be very polite and very I apologize too much in life. um, And I do it in emails as well where so I do tend to be a little bit too meek. um, So I probably wouldn't recommend adopting my model, but I do tend to. Kind of open with, you know, I'm really sorry to bother you. Oh, god, I'm yeah, I'm very meek. Uh, I, I so I do tend to say a lot of like, I'm you know, I do tend to be very apologetic and you know, let them know that I'm sorry for bothering them, that I'm aware that you know, the status of a journal article is very much contingent on the reviewers and that I'm not hounding them, but I was just curious. So I tend to phrase it a lot of the time along the lines of, hey, I'm just checking in to see how this thing is going. Um, so I tend to be kind of a little bit informal and just very politely stressed that I'm just checking in rather than demanding an update. So yeah, that's sort of my experience of being a writer. I've also reviewed a few journal articles, but so far I've been, I've been kind of good with regards to the timing. So usually what has happened with me when I've had to review a journal article is that I will be given a deadline, like a date by which I need to have the review done and the I've so far been able to schedule my work in such a way that I've been able to get it done by the deadline. But I can understand why people miss those deadlines as well and why people aren't able maybe to get a, a review returned by a certain date because Again, reviewers like editors are also people with other commitments. They have jobs, they have teaching, they have research. They have all kinds of things that are massive demands on their time and everyone I know in academia is juggling about a million different things, a million different obligations. So, I think it's probably good to bear that in mind even though it can be frustrating when you're waiting to hear back on a journal or a pe- or sorry, on a journal article or a piece of writing. While it can be frustrating and sometimes you feel as though they're, you know, the journal or the reviewer is out to vex you personally, it's more than likely the case that they just have so many commitments and they have so much going on that they just haven't found the time yet.
0: I think that's really important to keep in mind. And in the humanities, it's it's, we're somewhat in this bubble where submission or where, you know, that time frame between submission and um publication, the publication itself, that turnaround is quite long. When you look at the sciences, yes. that turnaround is way, way quicker. And it's like this publish or perish, get it out, get it published, turnaround within weeks even, right? And we sometimes mm-hmm. wait for years. Yeah, yeah. To hear anything back, right? Don't you have a have a submission that's been on hold or pending for, for years? Year,
1: years, years in the making, yeah. So I do have something that I submitted to a journal in two thousand Um, just when I was starting um, a particular project and now I'm kind of coming towards the end of that particular project and the article is going to see publication by the end of this year so it's over two years which you know isn't anyone's fault it's just the nature of academic publishing in the humanities people have so much time on their hands journals in the humanities are rarely professionally managed by someone whose whole job it is to be an editor. They're usually managed by people who are also teaching and working at the same time. So it very normal and very understandable that it can sometimes take years for articles to come out.
0: Now having said all that we submitted all the emails we knew we'd have to wait and we submitted the article we sent the emails we knew we would have to wait we waited we followed up and alas we got a response so uh, what we're gonna do is take a look at the key points of criticism that we got um I have the email here and I have the feedback here and uh, we decided to pick a couple of key points out and Miranda is very handy that you reviewed stuff as well because you can tell us a bit more about the other side of the review process so kind of the guidelines that you get as a peer mm-hmm. reviewer and the way you are expected to phrase things and the way you're expected to handle certain theoretical issues, right? So yes. this first part was very much just to like set the scene for us to see, okay, so we have a long turnaround time, fair enough, right? So let's get into the couple of points that uh, stood out in our spectacular review. The first point, and I would like to quote from my uh, from our amazing
1: feedback here. Please do, please do, because this person has a real way a with real words. Real
0: way with words. So number one that really stood out was, and I quote: "In execution, though, the essay is not of publishable standard, and this is largely due to the predictable and overly familiar theoretical concepts that it employs." End quote. The first that, that I think that was like the first moment where i was like excuse me <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and honestly that's not even the worst but it is i don't know I, I the feedback itself doesn't really explain why the reviewer thinks that the theoretical concepts that we used are predictable and overly familiar and i know that later on one thing that they take issue with is our use of a particular theorist who published their most well-known book in the early 1990s and recently had a fairly big deal interview with the Guardian newspaper uh, that resulted in kind of a lot of controversy surrounding how the review was treated. So this person is still writing, is still very much in the public eye, but the, the reviewer felt that our use of their theoretical framework was predictable and overly familiar and indeed outdated, but they never really explain why when, again, the theorist we're talking about is still living, still publishing, and still generating headlines with interviews, so they're still clearly a relevant figure. But the problem with the feedback, um, aside from some of the meanness that we'll get to later on, is that they never really explain why they think that our framework is predictable and outdated. So tell us, coming
0: from the peer reviewer side, when you get the guidelines, is that something that would usually be expected, that you explain your reasoning behind the criticisms that you have?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in my experience of being asked to review for your um, journals, I will often get a feedback form to complete. So there will be like a form with detailing what is expected in terms of response. So sort of a, you know, what do you think of this article? What do you think of the theory? What do you think of the language? And you're expected to give a rationale for your response. So if I were to suggest that someone's theory is outmoded, though I I don't think theory can really be outmoded because it's something that continues to be applied in different ways over time. I mean, people are still writing about the Freudian uncanny a hundred years later. So I I don't know if theory can necessarily be outmoded or outdated in that sense. But in my experiences of of writing reviews, I would normally explain why I came to a particular conclusion. So if I felt, for instance, and this is more likely, that someone's use of theory was not properly explained or not properly integrated into their analysis of the text, I would explain why and give an example and suggest ways in which it could be better integrated or better explained. I wouldn't just say the theory is not well integrated and leave it at that. You you have to give people something to work with. So I would explain why it's not well integrated and then what they could do maybe to integrate it better or a different approach that they could take. So feedback The thing about feedback, I think, as a reviewer is that you can't just dismiss something offhand without explaining the reasoning and the rationale for your response.
0: And I think that's something really important to keep in mind when you are getting editor's feedback, right? So there are guidelines and if you get a rogue feedback, like we got it, this should be out of the norm, right? So there are guidelines that people need to stick to and, you know, certain ways of phrasing things uh, just seem a little unprofessional and um I'm gonna say if I had been by myself if we hadn't co-authored this together right and we'll get into this a bit later on this
1: would really would have taken a hit at my work self-confidence. You know it still did kind of hit me actually even though I like I'm really bad at taking criticism not in the the sense that I'm one of those people who'll be like no that's not true I'm brilliant but I'm the kind of person who gets really knocked down if I get Criticism. I'm very, I'm overly sensitive, which is probably not great for academia. But I tend to get upset if, you know, people criticize something I've done. And I'm aware that criticism is part of this job, but I'm just. Kind of a sensitive person um i once read somewhere that only children tend to be overly cr- um, sensitive to criticism and i'm an only child so maybe that's it
0: we both are so it's double the are. trouble
1: <laughs> it is but so it actually it really did knock me i actually after i forwarded it to you i deleted it because i was like that's just hurtful and I don't want to look at it in my email account and then like I did go into my trash and kind of like you know restore it later on but like my first instinct after sending it to you and being like oh my god what is this was to delete it because it just seemed so hurtful and without any um without any constructive or useful criticism or feedback so my first response was to delete it and I was kind of Yeah, kind of hurt by it, even though, you know, because we were working on it together um, and because we've presented this particular article as a research paper within our department and gotten very good feedback, including from people who work on the specific author or who have worked on the specific author we were talking about, even though I had all of that, you know, knowing that other people liked it, knowing I'd worked on it with someone who I think is a really good academic and that I respect as an academic, I still felt kind of winded by that critique
0: yeah and i mean good for you that you have the boundary and you just deleted it and honestly i i just looked at it and i just started laughing
1: yeah i like your response
0: more. because it just seemed it just seemed so absurd right and let's let's take a look at some of the other phrasings that are in this so uh, we talked about that our essay is not of publishable standard so that was number one Um, Number two that stood out to us, and I quote again, one would expect more theoretically innovative and pioneering work in the journal that we apply to. So that was another, that was strike two. (laughs) And there there was multiple strikes in that feedback. Number three, and I quote again, My anxiety is that readers would roll their eyes at the return of such critical cliches. A personal favorite of mine that was.
1: Yeah, it's the use of the phrase eye rolling to, to refer to someone's work that I think is just unnecessarily cruel. Yeah.
0: Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And um, just to wrap that up, a last example, more or less strike four at this stage. Well, it seems a real missed opportunity to alight these things in favor of close contextual reading, a methodology that, to my mind, is simply not suited to the author's writing. And what I particularly liked, and that was a cherry on top for me, was then the managing editor in his email after he forwarded this feedback to us in that same email, just copy-paste it in, finishing the email with, finally, we hope you will continue to think about submitting stuff to us in the future. And you're
1: like, no, thank you. And I was like... No. So, I mean, obviously, again, people can have legitimate critiques. And even though I said that I am not great with taking criticism, I think I have like low self-esteem. So if someone if someone says something nice to me, I'm like, no, that's not true. And then if someone says something mean to me, I'm like, yes, that's true. I'm terrible. So I'm just, I have that kind of personality, but I'm aware that you get criticism in academia and I've had criticism and feedback in academia. I think I once got like a, an unconditional acceptance for an article where the person was like, this is great, maybe consider including these things, but otherwise, you know, off you go, brilliant. Um, For the most part, with any kind of peer-reviewed work, you'll probably get some revisions or some criticisms. And in the past, the responses and the criticisms I've gotten have been really helpful. So for example, I um, I had one article that I submitted a while ago, and there were two reviewers. And one reviewer was like, this is great, published with some minor revisions. The other reviewer was like major revisions because I think you focus too much on historical context, whereas this really would be stronger if you focus more on the literary text that you've brought in. And that's really good, really helpful um, feedback. And in addition to that, the managing editor was like, hey, we've gotten this feedback. One person says minor, one person says major. Um, we're going to go with the major person because we think it will be stronger with some revision. Um, here are some books that you might find useful. You know, so both the reviewer and the managing editor were super, super helpful. Likewise for my book. uh, So I, I submitted that for peer review back in like January of last year and it went through the first round and it's currently in the second round of peer review. But once I got it back from the first round, I got very detailed feedback from the reviewer. He or she, they felt that the um, certain aspects of the theory didn't quite chime, that certain theories weren't necessarily compatible. And they were like, I think that you should use this one theory more consistently throughout, rather than trying to bring together these theories that, that don't work. They recommended books, they recommended articles. It was really, really helpful. I like, so I've gotten people who've said, I've got, or I've gotten reviewers that have said, there are some major issues here that you need to fix. I, I've, so I've gotten like major criticism But it's always been really useful, major criticism that's been like, this is a problem. This is how you could fix it. Um, Whereas the person who reviewed this particular article was just very dismissive of the work and didn't like the work. And also part of their review indicated that they would have basically they wanted our article to be about something else, about a different topic. And because it wasn't about that topic, they weren't happy with it. So they basically dismissed it because they they didn't like what it was doing and they didn't like the theory we were using without offering any kind of constructive feedback as to how we could improve it other than basically rewriting it to make it about the thing that they wanted it to be about. Um, and I just, yeah, that... That really got to me. That and the use of the term eye-rolling. I'm never getting over that because I just think it's so unnecessarily mean. I know,
0: I know. And even just the examples that you just mentioned, right? And the way other people go about giving feedback and, um, you know, very constructive. It just, even just those examples go to show that there is a difference in quality, but... I mean, you and I, we have a certain level of experience and you weigh more than I do, right? Um, and we're not discounting that academia is all about getting feedback, implementing that, getting better, being humble. Um, we fully agree with that. But if that was a feedback that I got with less experience, maybe for my very first submission, I think this could be really almost quote-unquote traumatizing and really yeah. exhilarate. Imposter syndrome, and maybe even keep me from resubmitting that piece to someplace else. And I think that's why it was so, A, so laughable to me, but also B, somewhat dangerous, because this is a way that you actually keep people down and keep people out if you mm-hmm. use those kinds of phrasings and yeah, you know, the eye rolling is also one of those things that really stood out to me so we both agree on that as well so it's not so much about the fact that we got feedback which we expected and we actually welcomed right we wouldn't have presented our work beforehand to more senior academics if we didn't want feedback it's just the kind that was just yes. really
1: off-putting and I don't yeah. think either of us really expected that. No, I think that's what got me as well. It just completely floored me how, how mean and how brief and how completely devoid of constructive feedback that it was. I mean, like I said, I've gotten feedback before that's told me, basically, you need to do major work on this. You need to do major revisions on this. I don't know anyone who hasn't gotten feedback like that. But I've never gotten feedback before that was just dismissive and mean with nothing constructive or helpful. And it was just the lack of anything helpful or anything useful. It was also like, it was quite brief feedback. Yeah, so about like five to ten lines in total, it really wasn't much. A short paragraph. And like, I've gotten feedback before for articles that is more way more detailed than that. The standard is, I think, more detailed uh, when I've written feedback on other people's articles, it's been more detailed than that, you know? Yeah. This is like something you would write, you know, on an exam if you had 200 other exams to correct, essentially. It was very, very brief. Um, so not, not great. But we
0: didn't, like, we didn't expect that kind of feedback. What We did expect some kind of feedback. And obviously, uh, we put contingencies in place in case we get rejected for this right so yeah. let's let's talk about that a small bit we yeah. had the article together and then um we essentially created a list of journals or publications that we thought would be good or this article would be a good fit for and then we basically listed them and i remember us talking about this in the last episode so how do you, how do you
1: think that helped us in cushioning the blow, and because what what did we end up doing then? I think our next step was to kind of get together and figure out what we were going to do with the article and how much of the person's uh, critique we were going to apply to our revising of the article. So I think what we decided, the the only revisions we made based on that feedback, because again, it wasn't helpful feedback. It didn't give us any directions for really uh, improving the article or working on it in any way. There was no constructive criticism. So we didn't really get anything helpful from them. But there was one bit where they complained about our use of a certain um, psychoanalytical trope, we'll say. Um, And they gave out about our use of that trope. But the problem with that was that it's that wasn't actually coming from us. It was coming from the author of the text that we were writing about. So it wasn't our use of the trope. It was their use of the trope that we were highlighting. So one thing we did do was we made it clearer in our in the next version of it that actually this wasn't something coming from us. It was something coming from the author of the original text. Um, so we did that, and I think that's the only real change that we made because again, that criticism wasn't helpful at all. Um, <laughs> yeah,
0: we did we did tweak a, a thing or two based on that. We added, I think, some political context to it. Um, yeah. But again, that was very Not much, much very much taking our own judgment into into account because there wasn't that much to go off. Yeah. Um, in in the original criticism, so we did that, and then. I think we basically went straight into our second option, right? We had our yes. list of potential of, of potential um, journals ready. I think it's a list of like three to five potentially. Yes.
1: But actually one thing we did have to do, because the other journal we were submitting it to had a lower word count. Yes. Than the one we initially sent it to. So we ended up using a different version of the article. We used a version that we had uh, presented actually to our colleagues. So it's a shorter version of the um of the longer piece that we initially submitted so we ended up using that one and that was the one we edited and submitted but yeah so we sent we submitted that changed changed the work cited as well
0: so because that's that's another one of those perks when you submit to another journal there is another referencing system so uh, we changed we changed the, the formatting, the referencing. And you did that as
1: well. So thank you for that. Actually. Oh, don't
0: <laughs> worry about it. Like, it's fine. Um, I think, again, we split the work quite nicely between the two of us in terms yeah. of those small edits. Um, I remember it was one of the first in-person coffees that I had in general after the lockdowns lifted. So that was really nice after we it both was. got our vaccines, get the vaccine people. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> so... Uh, we, we talked through that, we split the word up, work up again and um, it just worked great again based on our experiences actually writing the piece together. So mm-hmm. once we had that together um, and just keep in mind, not every journal has the same referencing system, right? And it just comes across as lazy for just resubmitting something. Yeah. So we had all of this in place. We had all of this done. We sent it out. So we did take some feedback on board. Um, we did make some changes. So... Let's see, we submitted and what's the end of the story, Miranda? Tell us.
1: We don't know. So we're ending on a cliffhanger um, because we don't know. We submitted to a journal. We did did get accepted though, didn't we? Well, we got the... So it, it initially, with this journal that we've submitted it to now, it was sent to the editor initially. So the, the editor, the managing editor reads it first, I think, and decides if it is in general of, of a quality or within an area that the journal would publish. And then I think based on that, they send it to the peer reviewer. So it's gotten past the editor. I got, I got way too excited, so. <laughs> yeah, it's gone past the editor. So there's the first boss defeated. Um, and now it's gone on to the peer reviewers. I can't remember if this journal has a double or a, a single peer reviewer because some places have two, some places have one. Uh, I'm starting to think two might be better in some cases, actually, because it might help to rein in the rogue, mean um, reviewers out there um, if there was a second person. Just like we encounter one. Yeah. Yeah. a single a single peer reviewer in the wild yes reviewer <laughs> two in the wild I don't know I'm reviewer sure... two yeah <laughs> <a hinge>. but, <laughs> I, like I'm sure many of you have seen those memes online about reviewer 2 you know I, I saw one someone I know posted a while ago and it was like a picture of a guy with a knife um, and like the subtitle was I will cut you and then above it the the thing was like captioned reviewer two. Um and like there there are all these jokes about like reviewer two being really really harsh and it's funny but also at the same time, criticism that is just mean and harsh and demolishing something or saying that they would have preferred a work if it was about something else without offering any constructive criticism is not helpful and that's not what academia is about you know Acad- you know you're supposed to get helpful feedback you know even if someone doesn't like your work even if they feel that your work is not suitable for the journal in question their criticism should still be constructive and useful. And certainly on journals that I've reviewed for, um, again, with the journals I've reviewed for, the managing editor will usually send me a list of guidelines and maybe even a form to use when I'm filling out my feedback. And on a number of those forms, I think actually pretty much all of the ones that I've reviewed for, they have set specified constructive criticism. Um, so there are a lot of journals who I think are becoming increasingly aware of the need to provide guidelines to their reviewers. Um, and I think it is important for reviewers to understand the importance of constructive criticism and criticism that is helpful and useful, as opposed to criticism that is just dismissive and mean without, firstly, without any constructive elements, and secondly, without actually even really giving a proper rationale for their dismissal and for their mean comments. You know, again, they never really explained why they thought the theory we thought we were using was outdated. Um, again, even though, as I said, the right the theorist in question, still alive, still giving interviews, still writing books, that they never really gave a reason for that. They said that the our theory was predictable and over-familiar, but all theory is predictable and over-familiar unless it's brand new theory, you know? Freud is predictable and over-familiar. Deleuze and Guattari are predictable and over-familiar. Derrida is predictable. Foucault Foucault is predictable and over-familiar. All theory that has been canonized as important academic theory is going to be over-familiar, and predictable it's how you apply it to the text and from the research i've done no one has applied the theory that we have used to the texts that we are talking about and in fact two of those texts no one has even really written about so it wasn't it was actually quite new what we were doing so But again... See, that's what what I thought, but sure enough... (laughs) Sure enough, it was eye-rolling. To round up our
0: discussion um, (laughs) here, maybe we can share a couple of tips um, of what to do when you receive shit feedback like that. I think a couple of things surfaced already just from our discussion here and our conversation here. Uh, But let's come up with maybe like three or four tips on how you can...
1: Mitigate that crushed
0: feeling, yeah. and what would what would your first one be before I come in with another one? Actually,
1: before I give you a tip, I should say one thing as well. I think that editors have a like managing editors of journals have a bit more of an obligation to maybe have a look at the kind of feedback they're sending to authors. Ooh, good point. So if a reviewer, you know, if there's a reviewer who writes something that is mean and without any valuable or constructive criticism, if I were an editor of a journal, I wouldn't send that back to, a, to an author because it's not helpful. It's just mean, True. you know? So I, I do think that editors play an important role here as well. And I've seen people talk about this online, this idea that if you are an editor, you have a duty to not just forward feedback that is mean and dismissive without being helpful to an author, you know? I think that, yeah, yeah. you know, that there is a, a kind of a duty of care there as an editor that you don't just send mean feedback, that you look for and you make sure that the feedback you are forwarding on to your authors is helpful and constructive in some way. So I would say like editors who are out there, you know, make sure you, you nip those reviewer twos in the bud because they are just, you know. But um, yeah, in terms of like dealing with the feedback, honestly, the best part, the best thing that I did was share it. So obviously I had you, so we'd written it together. So the, I think the first thing I did was, before I deleted it, I forwarded it to you. And then we ended up chatting about it on WhatsApp and talking about why the criticism was so mean. So don't keep it to yourself. If you get criticism, if you get feedback that is just mean without any redeeming features, without any rationale behind it, without any reasoning or explanation, you know, this is a good time to like, have a coffee with your friends and, you know, share it and talk about it and because i think if you keep it to yourself and you don't get some outsider perspective you might start thinking ah, oh, maybe reviewer two is right maybe i am crap and eye-rollingly bad you know i think you you do need to share it that's a really good point it's all it's
0: it's like when you have a bad feeling you need to share it with someone Yeah, kind of spread
1: and to get perspective, that's it. That's exactly it. Because I think you said you you read it to your partner, didn't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. I did a dramatic reading in the living room.
1: <laughs> and what was his response to it? Oh, he just rolled his eyes. Funnily enough, and was just like, "This, this <laughs> sounds like some bullshit." <laughs> yeah. And I think it's just helpful to get that kind of to get that kind of perspective from someone else, you know, someone who is outside of your little bubble and who maybe doesn't work in the same field as you or, you know, who hasn't worked on this project with you. It's also good to share it beyond and just, you know, spread the misery. Absolutely. Because it's also
0: you get emotionally attached to the yeah. stuff that you write. Your academic output is so tied to your personality. Yes. Not just in the PhD, but very much beyond the PhD because you do it because you love it. So it's important to, when you receive feedback like that, take a step back. And uh, that's why I think it's so cool that you just deleted it right away. And I I was kind of laughing at it, but you created that kind of physical boundary to step away from it and not, not jump into it. But instead, take a step back and then come back to it because it's really important that you need to get some like distance in Mm -hmm. almost just for your own sanity and to what you said about you know get your friends involved or your colleagues involved um, if you're comfortable doing that I was also thinking if I hadn't had you and this was my first experience, I would probably go to maybe my supervisor. A supervisor
1: would be great, actually. Yeah. If, absolutely. if you're
0: still doing the PhD or even beyond, I'm sure if you just shoot your supervisor an email saying, I got this really strange feedback and let me know if my gut feeling is right here, because sometimes, you know, we don't trust our gut instincts and mostly, mm-hmm. mostly it's right. But sometimes yeah. it's good to just get a second opinion. And I think that goes to what you said about getting someone else to like see it, just to see their reaction as well. Mm-hmm. Just so you don't feel like you're completely going mental, right? Absolutely. So that and one one other thing that I also wanted to share in terms of tips would be to have a list of other journals ready to go. Yeah. So that you almost have that safety net going. Uh, Because, you know, it made our process extremely easy because we just went to number two on the list, essentially.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think I was reading somewhere about sort of like levels of rejection in academia. And I don't have figures because I do not have a numerical brain. I can never remember them. But, like, the number of rejections people get before something gets published is really staggering. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really interesting to see. I had a friend years ago who did a, a CV of failures where he basically made a CV of all the things he didn't get and all the stuff he did that was rejected. And it's so interesting to see how many rejections and how many failures there are for every successful publication. You know, for everyone you see on Twitter who is, like, delighted to announce that my article has been published in blah, blah, blah... They've probably submitted it to other places and had it rejected, or they've submitted other articles and had them rejected. I don't know if they're, I I don't think that there are any academics who are, any academics out there who have not ever had rejections, you know? And even like people who are well advanced in their careers get rejections and get mean feedback. Like I saw something recently from an academic who is far more senior than I am, far more well known in their field than I am. Someone I would consider really intelligent and just really a fantastic scholar. And I saw them, you know, online giving out about reviewer two feedback. And I'm like, well, if you are getting, you know, cruel reviewer two feedback, you know, because I, this is big, there's a part of my brain that kind of assumes that people who are leading scholars in their fields never get mean feedback, you know? And like, if you've published a couple of monographs, some articles and stuff, you're probably at a point where you never get mean feedback but or difficult feedback or harsh feedback, but turns out you do. And that's important to bear in mind as well. Everyone gets negative feedback, but negative feedback shouldn't be the feedback that we got. Negative feedback should be like, here is what I think is wrong with what you've written. Here are some things you could probably, you could do to fix it. Um, here are some things you might want to consider in the future. That's negative feedback. Feedback that refers to someone's work as eye rolling isn't negative feedback. It's just, Pointlessly cruel. Unconstructive. And I think that is a
0: great point to end on. But before we end the episode, I have another quick update for you guys. It's currently two days before the release of this episode and Miranda and I just got an email saying that our article got accepted with only minor revisions. So thank you guys for coming on this little publication adventure with us over the last two episodes. And I hope that if you're currently shopping around your papers with journals, that our experience has encouraged you to keep going. Because in essence, finding the right journal for your research is a bit like dating. Sometimes it's just not the right fit and you just have to keep going until you find the right one. And having said all that, let's cut back to the outro. Miranda, thanks yes. so much for coming back on. Tell us where can people find you online if they want to know more about your work?
1: I am on Twitter. Um, my handle is at middleagedwitch and I also write quite regularly for Diabolic magazine as well. Amazing. So, Miranda, thanks
0: very much for coming back on um, and for taking the time to chat to me, as always. Thank you for having me. Now, let us know your experiences with editors' feedback, good, but especially the bad ones. We want to hear from you. As per usual, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at phdpendingpod or write us an email to phdpendingpod at phdpendingpod.gmail.com. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and consider donating to our Buy Me a Coffee page so we can keep creating content for you. And we will see you again in two weeks' time. Thanks, Miranda! Thank you! This episode of PhD Penning was written and produced by me, Anna Mala. You can find the show on Instagram and Twitter at phdpenningpod or send me an email to phdpenningpod at gmail.com. If you like the content, rate the show five stars in your favorite podcast app or buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash